Thanks for joining us today for our special series on the future of transportation, the effects of the pandemic on how we travel. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Good to have you with us. My guest today has stepped into a leadership role at a very challenging time. The Insurance Corporation of British Columbia, ICBC, has been a highly scrutinized operation in this government's term, and the arrival of COVID-19 hasn't made matters any easier. Uh, Nicholas Jimenez is the uh, CEO with the task of shepherding the corporation through some significant changes. I'm delighted you can join us. Good to have you with us. Glad to be here. Um, yeah, I thought that maybe becoming a, a publisher of BIV uh, this year is, uh, is a, a huge task considering COVID. Um, you stepped into quite a job there. Well, I did. I mean, it's been two and a half years now. Yeah. Uh, but it's been two and a half years of the most intense uh, and consistent effort at change, I think, in the company's 47-year history. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I would say we're we're pretty tired over here. <laughs> a lot of work to do. There is still a lot of work to do. Um, you know, largely speaking, what has been the tone that you've tried to effect here with uh, with your leadership group and, and into the organization, um, given that, you know, you, you seem to have, uh, a kind of a an intense scrutiny on the part of uh, the provincial government, but then it doubles up, doesn't it? Doubles down, if you want to call it that, yeah. with COVID. What's the style that you've tried to present? Well, I mean, we've tried to come across uh, recognizing where we're at, which is uh, the company has had a series of problems. We can debate how we got here, but we're here. Uh, yeah. And so rather than get fussed about looking backwards, we've said, look, we've just got to get down to fixing the problems. And so we've tried to bring in uh, humility. We've tried to bring in authenticity. Uh, we've tried to bring in a sort of a humble uh, approach, uh, which is we, we, we really need to bed down these problems and move on. Uh, I mean, my, my perfect vision for the future is we get to a place where we don't talk about auto insurance anymore. Uh, right. Where, you know, where the conversations we have are the ones we want to have with our customers, either when we're selling uh, a product or when we're servicing, you know, the product because someone's got into a crash. That's what we should be focused on. Uh, and that's that's kind of the, the, the if you will, the, um, <clears throat> the substantive tone that we try to bring in our interactions, certainly in the last couple of years anyway. Yeah, and, and it, it would strike me that, that you, you know, you're, you're quite correct. You needed to change that channel. Um, in order to give people a bit of a sense of it. But, but when the pandemic came and all of a sudden people were reconsidering how it is that they travel, what kind of new wave of challenge did that bring to you and, and, and to your plans? Well, I mean, I guess we had two, two ways of looking at that. I mean, uh, the first is to deal with what you have in front of you, which is you have an entirely different set of circumstances in terms of your daily business. Uh, and how do you respond to what's going on uh, in people's lives? Um, people are losing their jobs. Uh, they're seeing incomes, you know, in some cases cut 20, 30, 40, 50%. Uh, their, their, their patterns of travel, mobility completely changed. And so we need to respond to that. But then you're responding in the context of dealing with your own human challenge with your workforce, you know, who are going through the very same things that, that other people mm -hmm. are with kids at home and, you know, concerns for elder other parents who they might be living with. So, you know, the challenge that we had to do was what can we do in our business to make things easier for people 
in this particular moment. Uh, and that was looking at flexibility uh, and adapting the business as quickly as we can. And we did a bunch of different, very kind of immediate and tactical things. So one is uh, we work with brokers uh, and others to say, we can't physically have customers come to your office. Let's make sure that we can do this over the phone. So in 48 hours, you know, we changed our distribution model. Yeah, all, all that bricks and mortar, place. right? All that bricks and mortar suddenly. Yeah, yeah. overnight, overnight yeah. which is unheard of uh, in our driver licensing business. I mean, if you think about, mm. you know, not just the office part of it, but the actual vehicle part of it. We're doing road tests. So we had to suspend, you know, the, the road test for a period of time until we could figure out how to do that safely. Um, in the repair business, uh, you know, we have people putting their cars into the mix. Uh, and so we had to make sure that there were cleaning protocols put mm -hmm. in place. We had customers who were going through financial challenges. So we had to figure out ways to accommodate people who just couldn't make their ne next monthly payment. So we had to adapt, you know, uh, a payment deferral uh, plan and, and looking at some of the fees attached to, you know, reinsuring your vehicle af after you either canceled it or decided not to renew your insurance. So there's a whole bunch of things where we had to bring flexibility and responsiveness. And we had to do it like every other business in, in two weeks uh, or less. Yeah. You, uh, you recite these uh, as if they are deeply committed to memory. <laughs> by, oh, well, by there's a dozen others, which I won't even get into, but yeah, they are. Yeah. But we feel pretty passionate about it because it's real. I mean, it's real for everybody. Uh, yeah. I mean, even employees at ICBC, uh, you know, who are now working at home, uh, you know, their driving patterns have changed. Well, I'd give them the same advice. You know, you should look and talk to your broker and change your insurance policy because your needs have changed. So, so how do you think things have already changed, Nicholas? In terms of the company or more just, just globally? No, I think uh, let's, let's talk about travel, about tra ground transportation right now. Well, what, I mean, you're starting to notice. Well, I mean, we're we're like a lot of other organizations, very closely monitoring mobility trends, and so we're using all available data uh, to kind of see what's happening in the environment. And what we know is we hit a cliff in March and April, and even the early part of May, the, the bottom fell out, uh, and our volumes dropped probably uh, between fifty and sixty percent in terms of what we're seeing in claims, which is you know, there's no there's no model for that, unheard of. Um, but since the beginning to middle of May, we've begun to see that come back up. Now we're still down uh, year over year, probably in the 20 to 25% range, uh, but we've seen a massive change. People are, are driving more, they're getting around more, they're working more. And this is consistent with the provincial restart. Um, uh, we, we even monitor where we use, you know, some of the Google stats that are available, you know, publicly in terms of where people are traveling. Well, they're not traveling you know, to downtown cores and for work, but they are traveling more in their home neighborhood and to parks and other places. Um, so, so these kinds of shifts have already started to occur. We're seeing people renew their insurance. Uh, we had a huge number of people cancel their insurance in oh, the latter yeah. half of March. Just saying, I'm not gonna be driving for a while. Just yeah. saying, our cancellations went up in some cases 60% week over week yeah. uh, from prior year. Uh, that's, that's normalized again. But for about a month and a half, we had a huge number of people cancel their policies. Well, that's starting to come back. So people are putting insurance back on policies they cancel. Uh, and that's a sure sign that things have changed in the economy. Um, yeah. Now, it hasn't restored itself, but it's changed. No, but, but you, you point to an interesting thing around, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm always fascinated with traffic. I, I love studying it. Uh, 
but the point that some people are not driving any longer or as much into the downtown cores. So does that necessarily mean then that we're driving, um, first of all, a little more slowly, uh, less kind of haste, less impulse. We're not rushing from one place to another in quite the same way. Might that mean that for the foreseeable future, for the next number of weeks and months anyway, that we're a little less accident prone? What do you think? Uh, I would say it's too early to make that that observation. So what a number of auto insurers around the country have been watching is, you know, with fewer people on the roads, the natural inclination is to drive faster. Uh, and so, oh. so insurance companies, carriers have been worried about severities, the cost of those crashes going up because they're more severe collisions because people are driving faster. So mm. we've been monitoring that. Uh, haven't necessarily seen that, but what we have seen is that there's more, there's more weekend crashes, uh, and that that that's not an observable change that is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. But, but there's there's our feeling is that there seems to be more traffic or more movement uh, on the weekend, where in a normal pre-pandemic period, you would have seen the bulk of driving occur during the week, uh, and then a slower pattern of, of behavior on the weekends. So, you know, so it is, it is, it is shifting a little bit. Congestion's down. So you can measure through the mobility stats. Uh, there is less congestion on mm. the roads. And that's true for both, you know, midweek and weekends. Uh, but people are, I wouldn't say, are driving more slowly. That's certainly not something we've seen. And, and what about the idea that, I mean, I mean and I, I'll feel this all the time. If I haven't driven for a week, um, you know, first, first, few hundred meters, you know, it's, it's a little, it's, it's a new thing again. I mean, it is, is that also playing into it where you're, you're seeing more weekend, weekend incidents because maybe people aren't driving during the week the way they commonly do. I mean, it's possible. I, I think it's pretty hard to get that sense from the data. You'd need to really do something more qualitative and talk to people and, and, and try to glean into their mindsets about how they feel when they're driving. Now, what is true, and you've probably seen the same statistics that I have, is that as a, as a population, whether that's BC, Canada, or, or, or writ large, uh, we're more anxious. Uh, the feelings of uncertainty are definitely there. So does that play out into how you drive? Are you more distracted? Um, you know, those are, those are things that I think we need to pay attention to. We do workforce surveys, just like I'm, I'm sure you've seen other employers do. Uh, and people are self-identifying as being, you know, a little bit feeling less comfortable about everything, whether sure. it's working, life, generally. Things. Yeah, I mean, there clearly people have job worries. They have family worries. They have, of course, health health worries for their extended families and friends. Those types of things do prey on you as you're driving, no matter you know, no matter that you try to keep a clear mind. Right. Absolutely. And whether there's three people on the road or thirty people on the road, I mean, if you're distracted, uh, you're distracted. Uh, yeah. uh, if you have an overlay that's you know making everything more complicated, well, that that's going to eventually show up in some kind of statistic. Yeah. So, so the province has, has I think, given uh, some fairly clear uh, direction about where it wants ICBC to go over the over the longer haul. Um, I think that you know it's. Certainly, our Attorney General has been very outspoken about its history and, and would like to have certain things dealt with. One of the areas that I think that consumers really, of course, always worry about is that if they're in a, some kind of a, a serious crash, that 
they're looked after. They're looked after uh, properly. And, and of course, you know, we, we have a whole sector of personal injury lawyers that, that have uh, circulated through all of this in order to try to uh, make this all work. Um, we're, you know, we're moving out of that and we're moving into some other kind of extended care approach. Um, what were the principles that you felt needed to be there in order, you know, you, just as a leader to be able to authentically speak to the issue of, of you know, having this backstop for people who find themselves in longer term needs as a result of, uh, of accidents? Well, I mean, for us, the system we're moving to, you know, I, I believe is infinitely better than the one we're in. And, and mostly because, uh, well, for two reasons. One, uh, one is going to cost less. So everyone's going to see, you know, that, uh, that impact right away, which is good news. But, but the more important part of it is uh, the focus isn't necessarily on defending, you know, a customer who's being sued by another customer who wasn't at fault. And where you're, you know, the locus of your effort is on litigation, not on recovery, but investing all of your time, all of your energy, uh, all of your money on the recovery of an injured person. Uh, and everybody gets treated the same in our current world. You get treated differently by virtue of the fact that you're either an at fault or not at fault customer uh, because you have a different set of circumstances. In the new world, everybody has uh, the right to get the same benefits and those benefits are greatly increased. And so what we're building in the company is basically a, a team, a unit, uh, that's going to kind of expand the one that we've currently got that's only focused on working with people who are injured and need to either get back to back to life, back to function, back to work. Um, that's a different muscle to pull on uh, yeah. than the one that we currently pull on. Um, but that's one that I think was going to serve everybody better, whether whether it's you know customers who are going to experience you know the recovery process differently, or whether it's employees you know who don't have to go through very difficult, timely, uh, and costly litigation, but can now put all of their time and thought uh, and emotional investment into your recovery. And I think that's just going to work better for everybody. And yet I'm, I'm sure you, you had heard coming into the job and have heard it all the way through since that you know, one of the real concerns that people have had is that if, if there isn't this legal capacity that, you know, then they're then, you know, at the, at the mercy of, um, of, you know, a, government institution or, or like that to, to do it. And so how, how do you, how do you make sure that people are in fact reassured that well, this, is, this is going to be better? And this is, this is not a, a takeaway on their part. It's not a, uh, you know, a, a budgetary issue that is driving the process. Type of thing. I mean, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of ways to kind of build confidence in a new system. One, it's in the legislation. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it, it's we're, we're, our obligation. Our primary obligation is to make sure you get the benefits you're entitled to. Um, two, it's to put medical decisions in the hands of medical professionals. Uh, so it's to make sure that a recovery plan is designed by a doctor, uh, not not you know not uh, an insurance a recovery specialist. Um, and then you know where there are points of difference differences and and there will be i mean there are, you know there are recovery there will be things that people want uh to have as part of the recovery that aren't evidence based and aren't supported by 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 either a care provider treatment provider like a physio or a chiro or even or even your own gp to make sure that there's avenues for people to say hey i'd like someone else to take a look at this 
I don't I don't agree with the assessment that's been made. Um, and and to have that very clear for people uh, throughout the journey of the recovery. And then and then have layers to that. So you can, you know, you can ultimately keep uh, keep your concerns going if if you feel like, well, that the, the advice I got from this independent doctor, I don't agree with. Okay, fine. There's a fairness office. You should put your concerns to them. Independent, outside of ICBC, um, reporting to our board. You know, make your case. Um, so, so these kinds of things will exist to give kind of a lot of light onto the process, to the how decisions are being made. I think one of the things that we've heard from people in terms of their frustrations with our insurance system is that you know, they don't feel like they understand it very well. So why are rates the way they are? Why do they keep going up? They right. feel like there's not transparency. Uh, and we have thousands of pages that go to a utilities commission. Nobody reads that stuff. I wouldn't expect them to. Um, so it's to make sure that, that we do more upfront to help people understand the journey. You know, why, what you're going to experience, how you're going to experience it, where you can get off the ramp if you don't like it. Uh, and who you can bring in if you feel like you need additional uh, additional help. Yeah, well, uh, help me with this one here. What, what do you think are the top couple of myths that people have about um, about insurance in this province? Well, I think the one the one is that somehow that the cost that they're paying for their premiums uh, doesn't reflect the cost of the system. That, that somebody's benefiting from these high rates, and right. it's not. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's outside of the insurance kind of ecosystem. And, I, and that's just not the case. We know, that, you know, the, the prices we charge reflect the costs of settling the claim. I think another myth is that uh, ICBC people, people generally get terrible service at ICBC. Now, I will admit the perception of our brand is not very strong, but our customer experience data which is more than just high level satisfaction. It goes much, much richer than that. It is very strong and has been for a long time. So people who interact with us generally have a pretty good experience. Um, but, you know, but, but what, what they read in, in you know, an, an article or through a social media feed might be different than the experience they felt. They're more inclined to believe, you know, or anchor to that perception, even if their experience with ICBC has been pretty good. Well, I mean, they obviously, I believe they should believe the media, but I mean, <laughs> that's an entirely different discussion. Uh, now, now, I guess what I want to look at are, are the years ahead, because what's apparent already is that people have uh, a kind of a new apprehension about the public transit system. And we don't know how long that'll last. Maybe that's going to take until we have a vaccine and and we've cleared the pandemic out of our way. But it, it, who knows, maybe people are going to reshape their behaviors all over again. And it likely means that they're out in some cases, buying vehicles, new ones, used ones, whatever. Um, so potentially, you know, you, you might have more vehicles on the road, whether they're being driven as much as a whole other matter. Yeah. Um, so what kind of planning scenarios are you beginning to look at in terms of this, this potential shift here? Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the things that we're, we're, we're building in different scenario models that have short and long-term uh, time, timelines. Uh, and they're built on different, different assumptions about what we think could or couldn't happen in terms of policy growth, in terms of the types of vehicles in, uh, in our policy universe. Uh, 
uh, in terms of uh, movement, et cetera. Um, and so in as much as you know, you're describing if people are more skittish about taking transit, I don't think that's long-term. I think that's probably a short-term, um, a short-term phenomena. Um, and will they be inclined to purchase vehicles? I'm not sure, but they, they might be inclined to drive the vehicle they have more often. Now that's offset though, by the fact that most people today are spending some or all of their time working from home. Uh, so the need for, you know, if you were, you know, a family where both partners work, uh, and needed vehicles for, for travel, uh, or one took public transit and the other did. The reality is your, you know, your, your, your needs have changed pretty substantially. I think about our own workforce, um, like many others, within about two weeks, we sent over 50% of our people home. Mm-hmm. Um, another 25% working kind of a little bit of a hybrid model at home and at work. Our future pandemic, you know, notwithstanding, is to have more people work at home. Uh, for a good chunk of the time. We, we actually think, not all the time, but we think you know, a portion of the time that, that works better for people, builds more flexibility. So, so those are longer term assumptions that we might make around, you know, around what's going to happen. So you have to kind of blend the short and the long term, but the, the biggest problem we have with any scenario planning, uh, beyond the fact that all scenarios are gonna be wrong you know, in, in some way, shape or form. Yeah. No one's they, been have right. to, they have to adapt. Yeah. Um, because we're kind of learning through this pandemic what we knew in 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 April is very different than what we knew in June, and what we're seeing in August is very different than what we saw in June. So, so we're going through uh, almost a monthly iteration of our of our models to kind of just keep it fresh. Sure, I think uh, uh, five years ago I was asking the question that I thought would be by now solved, which is uh, when are we going to see autonomous vehicles on our roads? I, obviously, that discussion seems to have stalled in the last number of months. But we, what, well, it's before that. In fact, that stalled about a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. What's what's the projection that you feel is is, is sane about that one? I've always felt that that is a, a has a longer term horizon than the optimists wanted everyone to believe, uh, and this would be most notably the you know the OEMs, the the car manufacturers. They were very bullish on their ability to, you know, convert all of their fleet onto these, you know, to these platforms once they solve the technical challenges. Well, it turns out the technical challenges are pretty hard to solve. Um, and there's more of a shift now, more energy, more capital being plowed into electric vehicles. Um, now, that, that's not to say that people aren't working on on, on AVs and, and getting that technology right. I think it's got, you know, a five to 10 year horizon before we see, um, you know, uh, a noticeable portion of autonomous vehicles saturate our vehicle population. Uh, and then a longer term, even beyond that, before we see uh, a big part of our fleet turnover. Um, so we're not seeing that as a, as a zero to five year kind of phenomenon. It is, um, uh, and again, the, the rise of the electric vehicle is, is, is now starting to basically have some great evidence about it, uh, particularly in a city like this one here in Vancouver, where you yeah. really see this is some, many more charging stations and obviously availability and there's some high income to deal with some of the costs of these, these vehicles. Um, again, how, how might insurance adapt around, around that? Because these are um, at times either pricey cars to fix or, you know, or in some cases they're, they're, they're almost write-offs when they, when they do go into crashes because of the, the, you know, the, scarcity of a lot of the component elements of them locally. 
Well, I mean, you're unfortunately already seeing the impact of, and it's not just EVs, but it's it's other newer model year cars with loads of really good, but ultimately expensive safety features, uh, the advanced driver, you know, assistance type stuff. Um, that is, you'll, you'll see in our numbers that the severity costs, uh, the cost to, uh, of the vehicle repairs, they're going up. So even while frequency, the number of crashes is going down, uh, the cost to repair vehicles is going up fairly steadily. And that's true in most jurisdictions, not just BC. Um, and that is only going to get more intense uh, as a lot of that older sort of portion of the fleet turns over and people start moving into newer model years, um, especially true for EVs. I mean, you've heard the horror stories uh, around trying to repair Teslas uh, because of parts availability. Uh, it's, it's very challenging. Um, that's not always the case, but sometimes it is. Uh, I, I think, you know, if you talk to anyone who's in the glass repair business, you know, they will tell you what used to be a very simple and relatively inexpensive job has turned into a very complicated task because of all the sensors that have to be recalibrated. Yeah. You know, when you're fixing what should just be what you would think is a pretty simple thing, which is, you know, which is, you know, a window shield. Well, even not, tires, tires are also becoming much more complex. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything. Um, okay, so uh, uh, I, I should ask a couple of personal questions here because I, I, I know you're a mountain climber and all that. Um, uh, how have you taken care of yourself here during all of this? That's a good question. I mean, I mean, I've tried to stay fit. Uh, I've tried to stay as active as possible. For me, uh, you know, going into the mountains is is absolutely the the thing that restores me. Uh, I'm only truly. I'm only truly relaxed when I'm tired, uh, you know, after slogging it up, you know, whether you're backcountry skiing or, 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 you know, hauling yourself up to a, to, to an alpine environment. Don't you think get one of those like big four by fours and at least get yourself a couple of thousand feet up there? And, uh... <laughs> I have one of those, uh, but it's <laughs> still a long way. Yeah. Uh, certainly in the coast range. Um, so, I mean, I, that, you know, trying to do more uh, with the kids, I think has been certainly the beginning too, when everything sort of seemed to sort of close in on itself. We were spending a lot of time uh, doing things we'd never done before. Like, and I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit, but we hadn't, hadn't really taken the kids around the neighborhood. So, you know, their lives existed in this this bubble between school and home and whatever activity they were doing. Well, with activities virtually shut down, we spent a lot of time getting on the bikes, just driving around or riding around the neighborhood uh, so they could actually see where they live. And, and again, they're 10 or 11 now. Embarrassed to say it took us, took a pandemic for us to kind of, you know, explore our hood, but, but that's kind of the way life has, has been. Yeah. Well, well maybe a, uh, an adjunct question to that, though, is, is that it's true many neighborhoods are changing quite quickly in terms of their adaptation around, uh, around you know, fewer cars, fewer vehicles yeah. on the road, and, and they're becoming a lot more um, pedestrian friendly and cycling friendly. Do you think much of that's gonna stick? Oh, I think it's hard to know. I mean, I think I wanna believe the best parts of what we've become are the things we hang on to. Um, but, you know, I also know old habits die hard. So I, I, I'm hoping personally, to retain some of, you know, of the changes that we've made and uh, in our lives that I think are for the better, uh, and that you know, in a year or two or three, when, when, when we kind of get back to different patterns of of either travel or work or whatever, we don't lose all that. Uh, I I think the the stories have to be written on that 
so I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment to, to make a prediction because I can't do anything other than what I think I'm going to do, which I hope uh, is the right stuff. I thought if you climb mountains, you would be fearless around that one, but that's okay. That's fine. We'll, we'll take that as a... No, no, you know what it is? I just don't know. And I, we have the same challenge in our own, uh, in our own understanding of consumer behavior. Like yeah. it's, and I've had a hard time finding literature that really provides an accurate model for, you know, how are consumers going to permanently change through all of this and lots of conjecture, but, but very few people have been able to, in my view, kind of lay it out clearly because they they have a model that tells us that's the way it's going to be well the one thing that uh i think we can safely predict is that in as much as some people have said this is now the time that we're all going to turn to cycling that we're all you know we're all going to start walking our neighborhoods and be fitter and you know that the, the car is still going to prevail for a long time yeah i mean we've always said even with autonomous vehicles you know and even if that changes the way people own vehicles more kilometers are going to be driven in 10 years than than today uh, you know full stop there'll be more more tires on more roads uh taking more people to more you know to, to, to more distances travel so uh i i don't disagree although you try to get your bike repaired now at a bike store i'll tell you you're going to wait two or three weeks uh because it's that's a business that's done very well in the last three to four months yeah, maybe icbc should get into bicycle repair huh? maybe maybe yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nicholas, it's been good talking to you. Thanks so much yeah. for your Thanks, today. Kirk. Appreciate it. I've enjoyed yeah. it. Nicholas Jimenez is the CEO of ICBC. You've been watching our special series on transportation and the pandemic. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Thanks for joining us.